Behold, a Savior is born. As we look at today, we're going to talk about, we talked about hope, love. We're going to talk about peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come and we commit this message into your hands. We thank you for the word of God, that it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword that can go to the very heart of our lives and our mind. And we pray that you'll help it to not return void as it goes out, as it's promised in Isaiah, that you will do a work in each one of our lives, whether that's to convict us, to challenge us, to comfort us, to encourage us to meet a need, to teach us. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will do its work through your word today. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in our fourth week of this study. Uh, we talked way back November 26 about the promised hope. Jared Hall was here the next week. He talked about joy and anticipation. Last week, we looked at the servant love of Jesus, and we talked about his humility, his humble beginning, and the vulnerability as Jesus took on flesh and lived among his creation. Today, we're going to focus on something I think is very practical, needed, and important for all of us, and that is the prophetic peace that's found in God. And Howard offers us true and enduring peace no matter the circumstances of life. You see, we all need to tap into that peace. And the world is looking for love, peace, and hope and answers to what they're going through. One of my favorite times at Christmas is to be able to take some hot chocolate and sit down in my chair and look at the Christmas lights on the tree. And to be able just to reflect on Jesus is the light of the world and what Jesus Christ means to us by coming to this world. This peace was promised long ago and is now a reality to each of us through Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Many are busy with the hustle and bustle of the season, heading up to the celebrations early next week. We're just eight days away from Christmas. But do they have inner peace and tranquility in their souls? Do we have that inner peace and tranquility in our hearts. I was looking this week and I saw a study, 50,000, that's the highest number of suicides ever recorded in the United States, and that was last year, 2022. According to recent provisional data released from the CDC, nearly 50,000 Americans, mainly men, committed suicide in 2022. Do you realize that on the average, 16 military veterans a day commit suicide? Think about that. And while that number is high and expected to grow, once the final count is recorded, a new study has also revealed that contrary to popular belief, the suicide rate is not higher during the December holiday season. In fact, over the last 20 years, the spring and summer months have consistently higher rates for suicide, according to the Annenberg Public Policy Center from the University of Pennsylvania. The truth is, no matter what time of year suicide is a growing issue in our culture and begs the question, why? And what can we do about it? 
Not only do we see the effects of inner turmoil and mental and emotional problem, but we see the external effects as well. We see Israel and Hamas in war. We see Ukraine and Russia at war. People all around us are searching for inner peace as well as a world free from war. One of the benefits, among many, of being a Christian is that God offers us inner peace that is a constant flow like a river. So let's look first of all this morning at God's promise for inner peace and the evidence of it in our lives. So I hope you have your outlines out and there's going to be some scriptures you may want to write down to look at later. But first of all, we see the promise of inner peace. The promise of inner peace. And of course, we read that Isaiah 9, 6 passage and it talked about Jesus is that source. And we'll talk about that in a few moments in our second point. But the promise of inner peace, the source of peace. In Isaiah 26, 3, one of my favorite hymns is Like a River Glorious. And it's based on Isaiah 26, 3. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. He will keep you in perfect peace if our mind is stayed and focused on him. And as we trust him, John 14, 27, Jesus said, as he was coming down to the end of his ministry, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My peace, the source of it comes from God, I give to you. He said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me, that in Christ, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's a book written by Beth Moore called Breaking Free. And in it, it's a beautiful depiction of some of the prophetic words written in the book of Isaiah. She talks about victory and how to find ultimate peace in relationship with God. Here's an excerpt about peace. She writes, what do you suppose would happen if we paid attention to God's commands? We don't have to wonder. He told us very clearly in Isaiah 48, verse 18, Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. You got to write that verse down. It's a great verse. I really didn't see it until this week. Oh, that you have paid attention to my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Considering the following applications, as you imagine, peace like a river. A river is a moving stream of water. God's word does not say we will have peace like a pond. If we're honest, we might admit to thinking of peaceful people as boring. We might think, I'd rather forego peace and have an exciting life. When was the last time you were on a white water rafting trip or saw that for yourself in a video? Few bodies of water are more exciting than rivers. We can have active, exciting lives without suffering through a life of turmoil. To have peace like a river is to have security and tranquility while meeting many bumps and unexpected turns on life's journey. Someone has said peace is submission to a trustworthy authority, not resignation from an activity. Get that? Peace is submission to a trustworthy authority, not resignation from activity. A river is a body of fresh water fed by springs or tributary streams 
To experience peace, we have to find and feed on our relationship with God. I found that I can't retain peace in the present by relying on a relationship from the past. As a river is continually renewed with the moving of waters of springs and streams, so our peace comes from an active, ongoing, obedient relationship with the Prince of Peace. And this and other Bible references are examples of way God desires to find or feed a peaceful river in our souls. A river begins and ends with a body of water. Every river has an upland source and an ultimate outlet or mouth. Rivers depend on and are always connected to other bodies of water. And so that's a picture of us gathering together here in worship, in community, sharing in that peace together. Similarly, peace like a river flows from a continuous connection from an upward source, Jesus Christ. This is a timely reminder that our life will ultimately spill out into a glorious eternal life. The present life is not our destination, hallelujah. We who know Christ move over rocks and sometimes cliffs and through narrow valleys and passes in life to our heavenly destination. Until then, abiding in Christ, John 15, 4, is the key to staying deliberately connected with our upland source. When he said we could have peace like a river in Isaiah 48, 18, he was not drawing a loose analogy. He meant it. What does it take to have this kind of peace? Well, first of all, attention to God's commands through the power of the Holy Spirit to know what those commands are that we are to be obedient to. Second of all is then obeying what God tells us in his words, to actually do it, to put it into practice. Thirdly is obedience to those in authority and especially those in spiritual authority brings peace to our lives. Obedience to God's sovereign will not only brings peace like a river, but righteousness like the waves of the sea. Not righteous perfection, but righteous consistency. The second thing is, the source of peace brings us the rest found in that peace. One of these days I'm going to preach a sermon on peace and rest, and they're synonymous, they go together. <clears throat> but in Hebrews 4, 8, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, that's the Israelites, going into the promised land, having conquered their enemies for the most part, of course they didn't conquer them all, but they found a period of rest, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. When we come to faith in Christ, when we come to know him as Savior, we experience a peace that begins at that point and then continues on. And then it gives us that sense of rest that we can trust and lean into the sovereign God. When as believers we have peace from God, we can enter that state of rest and accept what comes our way because we're confident in who we are in Christ and that God is on his throne and he's in charge and he's also caring for every one of his committed followers. Jesus describes a life of peace in this way in John 15. If you have time, write down John 15, 1 through 5. You should go home and read that whole section, but I'm going to pull out verses 4 and 5. In John 15, 4, Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. 
He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of spiritual importance. We can't do it in our flesh. We need the Holy Spirit. So just as a tree never complains or toils to find nutrients in the soil and complains about more rain to grow, it abides in God's dirt and relaxes as nature takes its course and grows the tree. And as a believer in Christ, I have this sense given to me by the Holy Spirit that no matter what happens, God has my time in his hands, according to Psalm 31:15. God knows what's going to happen in my life day by day. Also, as I abide in Christ, God only allows things into my life that will help and benefit me, Romans 8:28. God is committed to conforming me into his image, Romans 8:30, Philippians 1:6. I can rest that God is sovereign and he will enable me to do what he wants me to do each and every day, no matter what opportunity or situation comes my way. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he who calls you, the same who will also do it. And also he will provide for my needs so I can rest in that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 25 through 34, he talked about how the flowers don't spin and toil. They just relax and abide in God to take care of their needs. So if we find our identity in Christ and trust in his promises, it quells the emotion of worry and uneasiness that comes in on occasion because we're human. We must remind our emotions of God's perspective on life circumstances. Let me say that again. We must remind our emotions of God's perspective on life's circumstances. So here's the application. Do you sense an undercurrent of peace like a river flooding into your soul? Do you have that sense as you read God's word? Do you have that sense as you live life and that Holy Spirit is prompting you throughout the day? We have the promise of peace, but we need to act on that promise. So our second point is the power of peace in a chaotic world. We look around, if you watch any news for five minutes, you see all the chaos, all the turmoil, all the heartache and pain that's going on. And we're going to contrast for a moment the difference between the world's idea of peace and God's view of peace. This is an important distinction because it's what we celebrate during Christmas. One form of peace is going to leave us wanting, but the other is going to give us deep fulfillment. So the world's view of peace, the world's view of peace. Now, you see a picture here on the screen, I hope, there we go. Imagine the tumultuous waves being out in the ocean during a storm and all the waters are stirred up and churning and how difficult it is to uh, handle a ship during that time or if we're out there just in a life jacket by ourselves. We see constant motion, uncertainty, and chaos. But in this, we often seek solace and tranquility to find peace amidst life's storms. Now, in this analogy, worldly peace is like a small boat built by human hands. It's carefully designed with polished wood, gleaming paint, and has beautiful, ornate decorations. It's beautiful to look at. And this boat represents the various avenues society offers us to find peace. This might include material wealth, 
social status, or temporary pleasures. They're alluring, they're promising moments of respite from the stormy seas. And as we embark on this vessel, it provides some semblance of peace. It shields us from the immediate onslaught of the waves, offering a brief respite from the turmoil. But we feel a sense of security and control, believing that we have found the answer in the chaotic sea of life. However, this worldly peace is fragile and fleeting. When a storm grows fiercer, the boat begins to sway and creak under the pressure. Its ornate features start to fade, revealing its weakness. And we realize that its capacity to provide lasting peace is very limited, unable to withstand the full force of all life has to offer. Jesus talked about that in a parable in Matthew chapter 7. You're very familiar with this parable. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine, Jesus speaking, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock of Jesus Christ. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The world's peace is like building your house on sand. It might look beautiful. It might last temporarily. It might be to handle the average storm, but when the, the strong tornado or the hurricane comes along, it'll be totally destroyed. But here's God's view of peace. God's view of peace. In stark contrast, God's peace can be understood as a lighthouse standing tall amidst the crashing waves. It's sturdy. It's solid. It's not very flashy as the beautiful boat, but its foundation is unshakable. It's rooted in the solid rock of God's unchanging nature. And the light shining from that lighthouse pierces through the darkness, offering guidance and assurance to everyone who seeks it. This lighthouse symbolizes the peace that transcends understanding, a peace that's not dependent on the external circumstances. It's a peace that flows from a deep and abiding relationship with the Prince of Peace. And just as the lighthouse stands firm amidst the storm, God's peace remains unwavering in the face of life's trials. Philippians 4, 6-7, Paul gives us some insight on how to get that peace. He says, do not be anxious, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it's inexplainable, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's where we get God's peace. And so as we navigate the seas of life, we're presented with a choice to place our trust in the frail boat of worldly peace or to seek refuge in the steady lighthouse of God's peace. The boat may offer temporary escape, but it ultimately leaves us vulnerable and adrift. On the other hand, God's peace provides a sanctuary of calm amidst the storms, anchoring us in his unchanging love and sovereignty. And in the end, we're invited to exchange the fragile vessel of worldly peace for the enduring refuge of God's enduring peace. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that sustains us through the fiercest 
storms and trials, and a peace that leads us safely to the shores of a relationship with the God of the universe who's in total control. With that in mind, may we choose to anchor our lives in the unshakable lighthouse of God's peace, trusting he will guide us safely through all the stormy seas of life. Now, an illustration that I've shared before is that of a, a lighthouse. And the story goes like this. There was a captain, and he was in a ship. And it was a very foggy, dark night, kind of one of those nights where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And off in the distance, he saw some faint lights. And he had his radio controlman talk to whoever it was out there because he was worried they were going to encounter a collision. And he says, uh, please alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Well, the radio call came back and said, please alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Well, this made the captain irate. And he told the radio man to tell him, turn your course 10 degrees to the south. I'm a captain of the ship. Well, the reply came back, turn your, uh, your, your ship 10 degrees to the north because I am seaman third class Jones. Well, this made him even madder. So finally he said, send this to him. 10, move your thing 10 degrees to the south. I am, I am a battleship. And the call came back, alter your course 10 degrees to north. I am a lighthouse, a lighthouse. And that's where the anchor is. The most important thing is being connected to the source of light. And during our dark and foggy times, all sorts of voices and shouting orders into the night telling us what to do, how to adjust our lives. But out of the darkness, one voice signals something quite opposite to the rest, something sometimes almost absurd, but the voice happens to be the light of the world and we ignore it at our peril. We ignore it at our peril. So our application is this. Are you able to be content with the lasting peace that comes from God? Are you able to be content with the lasting peace that comes from God? We have seen the promise of peace. We've now talked about the power of peace, but now we're going to close with this. The prevailing peace that lasts through the thick and thin of life. This is so important. This is what helps us to persevere, to stay strong, even when the most difficult things happen into our lives. What is it that causes people to stay faithful to the Lord for the long haul while many others fall by the wayside? How do they live within the lasting peace that Christ promises and gives them power to persevere? I love the book that we're studying in our men's group. It's by Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And in the chapter we read this Thursday night, he said this, when you look, you can see this on the screen, when you look at the glorious older saints in your church, how do you think they got there? Sound doctrine? Yes. Resolute obedience? Without a doubt. Suffering without becoming cynical? For sure. But maybe another reason, maybe the deepest reason, is that they have, over time, been won over in their deepest affections to a gentle Savior. Perhaps they simply tasted over many years the surprise of a Christ for whom their very sins draw him in rather than push him away. Maybe they've not only known that Jesus loved them, but felt it. This statement, my friend, captures what it takes to persevere and overcome the temptations 
the distractions, the heartaches, the discouragements, the rejections that we face in this world. This is the key. This is the secret sauce to faithfulness. It is understanding doctrinally who God and Christ is, but then making it the daily application and perspective of your life. It's having that sweet, deep relationship with our Heavenly Father. Perspective makes all the difference in the world. And having a relationship with Christ that's growing deeper and deeper, that's filled with joy, will overcome the world every time. So how we view things, perspective is so vitally important. Years ago, Sir Christopher Wren was building St. Paul's Cathedral in England. And a news reporter went to interview some of the workers and to find out what was their perspective, what was their motive for doing their work. So the reporter asked one worker, he says, well, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm just cutting stone to the right shape and the right size. He asked another person, what are you doing? Well, I'm just earning money for my family. But then he asked the third person, what are you doing? He says, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build this beautiful cathedral called St. Paul's Cathedral. You see, it's all a matter of perspective. One must have the right perspective on how God views us First, we obtain peace with God. This is where it starts, to have peace. Peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That means that we've come to the place in our lives where we realize we're sinners in need of a Savior, that we cannot in our own ability work our way to heaven, that we cannot on our own righteous standing make it because the, the standard is perfection and we can't make it. But by trusting in the finished work, what Jesus did on the cross when he died and satisfied the wrath of God and shed his blood to forgive all of our sins and to ask him to forgive us of our sin and turn away from our sin and come into our heart and be our savior and take control of our life, then we are justified with God and we have peace with the God who created us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So that's the peace with God. And that's, you got to have that. That's the prerequisite to the next things we're going to talk about. But then, as a believer, we get peace from God as our source, as we talked about in our first point. In Ephesians chapter 2, a lengthy passage of Scripture, Paul talks about this idea of the cross and how it brought peace. He said, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So he's talking about the Jewish believers separated from the Gentile believers. Remember that at that time, before they were saved, they were separated from Christ, the Gentiles were, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And here's a very important but. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Up to this point, the Israelites, the Jewish people, were not to have anything to do with the Gentiles. 
They weren't to do business. They weren't to intermarry. But now he's tearing that down. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He's the source of it, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He tore down the separation and as these folks, the Gentiles and the Jews became believers and worshiped in the same church, the prejudice was destroyed and peace was brought to them. In Philippians 4, 7, we quote this verse just a few moments ago, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever experienced that peace in making a decision? And uh, peace, as you read a passage of scripture, that it calms your heart? I've experienced it many times in my life, and it's beyond expression. It's beyond trying to explain it to somebody else. But the source is the, the Spirit of God in your life. So the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat, a thermometer measures the temperature but can't do anything about it. But a thermostat, as we have right here on the wall on either side here, the front of the sanctuary, it determines when the air conditioning or the heat, depending on the season of the year, comes on and goes off. The thermostat changes the environment. When we have the peace of Christ in us, we can stay calm. We can be the change agent in the situation because of our identity in Christ and our perspective that God will provide peace no matter the circumstances. The peace of Christ is like the thermostat in the room. When everyone is going crazy or overreacting to a situation, be the thermostat to bring peace and reconciliation to the situation. When people are lonely or hurting, be a source of peace by listening to them and listening to their hurts. Be the change agent because of the peace of Christ in your life. And when seeking God's will for a decision in your life, wait upon the Lord until he gives you the peace that passes understanding with the decision you make. Thirdly, we need peace with others. Peace with God, peace from God, and now we need peace with others. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Before we can come before the Lord and worship with clean hearts, we need to make sure everything is right with our fellow man. In Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Think about that. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We're going to have conflicts. We're all sinners. We're all human beings. We all have unique personalities. We're selfish people. But we need to learn in the spirit of Christ to reconcile, to work through our issues, and to do our best to live at peace with one another. And then peace amid life circumstances. The more we obey Christ, the more peace will permeate our life. 
Proverbs 3 is a great chapter in that book. It's really talking about wisdom and it's talking about inferring Jesus Christ. In Proverbs 3, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. If you want to have a more peaceful life, obey and follow wisdom. The more we seek wisdom from God, the more peace fills our hearts and our minds and our choices. He goes on in that same chapter in verses 16 through 18, talking about wisdom, alluding to Christ. Long life is in her hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her, way, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. There's a wise man said to this person one time, the way to achieve inner peace is to finish all things that you've started. So the person said that they looked around the house to see all the things that started and they had started but hadn't finished. So before leaving the house that morning, he said, I finished off a bottle of red wine, a bottle of white wine, took all the Prozac I could find, all the Valium, ate some cheesecake and a box of chocolates. He said, you have no idea how good I feel. Well, that's one road to peace, but I imagine it will have worn off by the next morning. Another writer defined peace this way. Peace is a conception distinctly peculiar to Christianity. The tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever source, sort that is. Whatever happens in our life. Whatever storms, trials, tribulations, the anchor of our soul is Jesus Christ. And as we said, that's the constant flow of the river that flows into our soul to give us that assurance. So the application, when you're lonely or when the storms are raging, are you able to stop and to be still in him? Are you able to stop and to be still in him? Remember that the key to thriving in the long haul with your faith is understanding of who you are in Christ and resting in that perspective. So here's our key thought. Are you focused on the true source of peace when everything around you seems to be out of control? That's what you gotta do. You gotta focus on your true source of peace that'll center you, that'll anchor you, that'll be the lighthouse that'll get you to the right location when everything seems out of control. I know there are a lot of things to think about in this message and I know that many of you probably have Christmas shopping and baking and other things to do. But against all odds, I trust that as you apply these principles to your life, you'll experience the profound and enduring peace that can only come from the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's some questions for you to ponder this week as we close. We sing our last song in just a moment. What are the distractions that get in the way of finding your inner stillness? We all have so many things pulling at our time, pulling at our minds, things that we think about. Our minds wander. We have shorter attention spans these days. What are the things that we can set aside to find that inner stillness? Second, what are the ways that we can experience contentment, especially in this Christmas season? How can you experience true contentment? 
And lastly, how can we show the world the peace that passes all understanding this week? That is so important because as I believe, as I talked to my students for the last time on Tuesday, you know, there's the source of peace is only found in one person, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're not experiencing that inner peace, but there's a lot of turmoil in your life, and you've been distracted and pulled away from focusing in on that inner peace. Take a moment and ask God to remove the distractions, to remove the things in your life that keep you from having that peace that passes all understanding. Maybe one of the things you need to do this week is go and reconcile with someone that you've had some opposition with or they've offended you in some way. Whatever it is, let's seek peace and contentment and rest in our lives this week. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the promise of your word, that they're always true, that they're never changing. You're the ultimate promise keeper. And Lord, help us to learn how to rest, to abide in you, even in the most chaotic times of our week and our days, in whatever the situation that we may come in contact with. May we tap into and rely and rest on our true source of peace, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.